This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Due to the graphic nature of this woman's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Juana Barraza was an amateur wrestler in Mexico City who went by the name The Silent Lady. Between 1998 and 2006, She preyed on elderly women, usually those who lived alone. They trusted her. They let her into their homes, and then she strangled them. In some cases, she bludgeoned them to death. Then she stole what she could find and fled the scene. And she confused police, who thought her killings were the work of a man. By the time she was caught, she was suspected of killing as many as 49 victims. Hi, I'm Vanessa. And I'm Claire. You're listening to Female Criminals. This is our second and final episode covering Mexican serial killer Juana Barraza, also known as La Mataviejitas, the little old lady killer. We'd like to ask a quick favor. Would you leave a five-star review of Female Criminals on your favorite podcast directory? It seems so simple, but it really helps us out. And don't forget to subscribe while you're there, because a new episode comes out every Wednesday. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast, and on Twitter at ParCast Network. As we discovered last week, La Mataviejitas, which is Spanish for the little old lady killer, most likely began murdering elderly women in Mexico City in 1998. She came to the victims' homes carrying sign-up forms for welfare support from the government. Or she offered to help out with laundry. Her victims were women over age 60, mostly living alone, and they were open to the idea of a helping hand. She came to the door and they let her in without suspicion. She preyed on their lack of outside support to gain their trust. And then she struck. Juana chose her victims carefully. They were all older women who may have reminded Juana of her own mother, an alcoholic who abused and neglected her during her childhood. It was the end of 2004. 
and police had coined the name Mataviajitas for the murderer who could not be caught. They had no real leads, but they had theories. They thought the killer was a man wearing women's clothing to look more sympathetic and gain entry to the homes of victims. That was a seemingly logical conclusion based on the fact that 85 to 90 percent of serial killers are men, according to the Radford University Serial Killer Database. They also used models of well-known killers in the U.S., like Ted Bundy, and believed they were looking for someone similar to him, a middle-aged, charismatic man with high intelligence. In fact, Bernardo Batiste, the chief prosecutor at Mexico's Department of Justice, characterized the allegedly male killer as having a brilliant mind and being very calculating and cautious. That was the police profile. And yet, neighbors or others who recalled seeing someone near the homes of the victims all described a woman. They said they couldn't be certain because she was tall and had a large figure, but police couldn't get their minds around the idea of a female serial killer. This made it even easier for Juana Barraza to fly under the radar and keep killing. And in October 2004, she paid a visit to Maria Dolores Martinez Benavides, age 70. She strangled Benavides with a white electrical cord. The cord was still wrapped around Benavides' neck when she was found later, slumped in an armchair. Her head lolled to the side, and she was dressed in brown pants and a beige sweater, stained with drops of blood. She wore only one shoe. Juana was choosing victims she could overpower, controlling her situation the way she was never able to as a child. Control was key. Juana was careful enough not to leave DNA behind. The only strands of hair found at the crime scene belonged to Benavides. Police were able to collect three fingerprints from the doorframe of the house, but the evidence didn't match any known criminals. But unlike with Juana's previous murder of Maria de los Angeles Cortez Reynoso in mid-2004, witnesses got a better look at her this time. Neighbors reported seeing a woman enter the house, someone they thought was wearing a wig and who had dark eyebrows and a sturdy frame. Another description of a woman, yet police still weren't ready to come around to believing a woman was behind the crimes. And police had another hang-up. They were still reluctant to call the string of murders the work of a serial killer at all. Their reluctance made it much harder to build a profile of the killer. Since police didn't think the murders were committed by a single killer, they weren't looking for the right person. The Mexican media came down hard on police for that. As the death toll of elderly women increased at the end of 2004, Mexico City's authorities countered the criticism. The police said they hadn't accumulated enough evidence to prove one killer was behind the murders, and they didn't want to stir up undue fear. That makes sense. Once the idea of a serial killer gets into the public consciousness, it can lead to panic. So authorities are very careful about labeling a murder the work of a serial killer until they know for sure. The media didn't let the story go. By early 2005, 
news sources reported that killings of elderly women had been increasing since 1998, and the victim total was between 20 and 30, depending on the source. Mexico City police had to face facts. They had a serial killer preying on elderly victims. But all the leads were coming up dry, and Juana Barraza was still killing, going unnoticed because police had a big blind spot. According to criminal psychologist Eric Hickey, who did some of the first studies of female serial killers, female serial killers generally get away with their crimes for much longer than male killers, sometimes years longer, because no one suspects they're capable of serial murder. Mexico City in 2005 was no different. Women weren't commonly seen as murderers. Instead, police looked to Paris, France, where years earlier, there had been a similar pattern of killings of elderly women by the so-called Monster of Montmartre. They hoped for insight into their own case. There's some logic to that. Same victim pattern, maybe some similarities in the killers. The French killer, a man named Thierry Paulon, was 20 when he committed his first set of murders, killing two elderly women. Over the next year, he killed 16 more. Police had few clues to follow, but they were able to determine from fingerprint evidence that the murders were the work of one killer. He was caught after he robbed and beat another elderly woman and left her for dead. She recovered and was able to give police a detailed description of Thierry Paulon. But police didn't glean any helpful clues from looking at Thierry Paulon. Meanwhile, in Mexico City, the killings continued. On April 13, 2005, Juana Barraza killed Maria Elisa Perez Moreno, age 76. Moreno lived in the same area as Maria de los Angeles Cortez Reynoso, who Juana had killed the previous year. The murders were getting closer together. That makes sense. She was getting away with the crimes, and something about killing these women was satisfying a need. She also likely needed the money. Juana Barraza had retired from Lucha Libre and was raising the two children, Jose Marvin and Yvonne, who still lived at home. She'd also gotten into some cult worship of Santa Muerte, the Lady of Holy Death, and Jesus Malverde, the so-called patron saint of drug dealers. Killers and criminals sometimes worship these figures, and Juana had altars to each of them in her house. There isn't much information about her personal life during these years, but we know she was continuing to look for victims. And police were continuing to look for Mata Viejitas. In mid-2005, they caught a break in the case. An attempted robbery, and likely a murder, was aborted, according to a lawyer for the federal district in Mexico City. Juana Barraza came to the home of a woman in Balbuena Garden neighborhood, assuming she'd find an elderly woman home alone. Instead, her son was there, laid up with his leg in a cast. Juana had established a pattern, taking advantage of women who were alone. Serial killers bank on things going as expected. When there's an unexpected hiccup in the plan, this is often when they make mistakes. Juana Barraza had to cover for herself and explain her unexpected visit, so she asked to see the son's x-rays. 
This was when Juana made a crucial mistake. When she touched the X-ray film, she left behind a fingerprint which police were able to match to five previous murders. And this time, police had an up-close description from a would-be victim who had lived. And the description of the killer who ran away matched Mataviejitas. This was the closest police had gotten to their elusive killer. This would have been stressful for Juana. Remember, the crimes weren't just about overpowering these women. She needed money as well. She couldn't afford to get caught. In mid-2005, Juana began dating a man named Jose Francisco Torres Herrera, nicknamed El Frijol, or The Bean. He drove a taxi and was said to be her accomplice, driving her to the crime scenes. On July 25, 2005, Juana Barraza found a new victim. She killed Emma Armento Aguayo in her home and left her shoved between her bed and the wall. The 80-year-old wore a pink-flowered nightgown and Juana strangled her with a blue and white strip of towel from her home. Aguayo's face was swollen and red from strangulation. Juana opened drawers and threw out their contents, searching for things she could steal. Police found Juana's fingerprints on the doorframe, on a jewelry box, on a glass on the table, and on a container of buttermilk left on the floor by the body. The quantity of prints could indicate she was getting careless or she left more quickly, possibly because she was afraid of being caught. The prints were useful. They matched those found at the murder scenes of Guillermina Leon Oropesa, Imelda Estrada Perez, and Maria Dolores Martinez Benavides, as well as the print left on the x-ray. Police knew there was no doubt they had a serial killer at large. Even though the fingerprints didn't match anyone with a criminal record in the fingerprint ID system, police got another physical description from neighbors who had seen Mataviejitas nearby. That allowed them to push the investigation forward, alerting the public to be on the lookout. The government of Mexico City organized a task force to patrol parks and gardens. They handed out flyers instructing elderly residents to be careful around strangers and not to trust them. They posted dozens of different composite sketches of the person believed to be the killer. They were posted in every part of town where a murder had occurred. This was a shift from how they were treating the murders before. They were finally looking for a serial killer. And this meant they needed to take a different approach. They asked for help. A group of French police authorities traveled to Mexico and conducted a training session for 100 police officers in Mexico City. After their success capturing the monster of Montmartre, they had newer ideas about how to profile this type of killer. One thing the training team suggested was to use DNA evidence to connect the murders and look for suspects. There were people that had perceptions, for example, of what this person might look like, what race he might be. We're kind of narrowing this down, tailoring this to the specific person we're looking for. I think this is very beneficial. Easier said than done. Police hadn't been able to collect any hair or fluid samples. In late 2005, police released more sketches of Mataviejitas, and depending on the source, there were between 8 and 11 new killings of elderly women that year. 
With this many murders, there were now witnesses who reported seeing a large woman leaving the homes of elderly women who would later be found dead. They described the suspect as wearing makeup. The physical description the police gave the public was a man dressed as a woman, or a large woman with a ruddy complexion, about 45 years old, light brown oval face, and dyed blonde hair. The physical profile was a little different from the psychological profile. Police said they were looking for a gay or bisexual man with a history of violence, someone who lived around women. They described a man with a grandmother or a relationship with other older women. They said he had high intelligence and a resentment toward that older female figure in his life. That profile didn't get them far especially since witnesses reported seeing a woman at the crime scenes. But instead of admitting that the serial killer might be a woman, police melded the witnesses' descriptions of a woman with their belief the killer was a man and decided they needed to look for a man wearing women's clothes. The new direction reinvigorated their search, but it had them looking in all the wrong places. Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Now the story continues. In late 2005, police were still searching for a male serial killer wearing women's clothing, instead of the female Juana Barraza. They raided Mexico City's LGBTQIA communities and took dozens of men down to the police stations. Despite having no evidence these men were involved in the murders, they arrested 49 people. Police were heavily criticized by the media for profiling the wrong groups. Meanwhile, it was an election year, which was shaping up to be a huge battle between very different candidates with opposing agendas. Having a serial killer on the streets during an election year turned the matter into a political problem, not just a criminal one. That fueled the already heated rivalry. Conservative Felipe Calderón was running against former Mexico City Mayor Andres Manuel López Obrador. Remember, Obrador was the one who established the government welfare program Juana Barraza was exploiting to gain entry to the homes of victims. They had different agendas. Calderón is from the National Action Party, which is a party traditionally conservative, whereas López Obrador is a leftist candidate who has promised to put the Mexico's poor first in priorities. The conservative Calderón won, and police were under even more pressure to find the killer. Police even turned to the city's morgues and began taking fingerprints from corpses on the chance that the Mataviejitas had committed suicide. There have been several cases where a serial killer stopped killing after ending up in jail on another offense or after committing suicide. But in this case, the killings hadn't stopped. 
So police commissioned even more composite sketches based on witness reports and began circulating them. Then, in November 2005, they went a step further. They created a wax and clay bust of the killer, complete with short, dyed, reddish-blonde hair and a birthmark on the chin. It was a much more realistic image of the killer that witnesses had seen. Clay models are not frequently commissioned for investigations. This shows how serious police were about trying to identify the person responsible for the string of murders. The clay model had androgynous features, which still could have easily been a man or a woman, but it looked remarkably similar to Juana Barraza. Still, it did not garner leads that brought police any closer to identifying Mataviejitas. All this time, Juana was out looking for victims. Her need to enact revenge on her mother drove her to keep going. It was worth the risk of getting caught by police. It satisfied a need or desire, so she continued to look for potential victims. If she saw the police sketches and heard that they were searching for a killer, it didn't stop her. According to criminologist Scott A. Bond, killers get more confident the more murders they commit. Their confidence may lead them to take more risks, like killing during the day or being less mindful of whether other people are nearby. And that's what leads serial killers to getting caught. Juana followed this pattern, and her mistakes led directly to her capture. Her final victim, Ana Maria de los Reyes Alfaro, lived in a white house with a green door in the Moctezuma neighborhood of Mexico City. The house was divided into two separate living spaces. Alfaro lived in one half and rented the second half to a 25-year-old tenant named Jose Joel Lopez Gonzalez. That day, Reyes Alfaro was home alone. On January 25th, 2006, Juana approached Reyes Alfaro in front of her house and asked her for a glass of water. Juana Barraza was dressed in a red jacket and black pants. She had practiced her speech well and knew exactly what to say to gain Alfaro's trust. She told Alfaro that she was a social worker and could help her fill out forms to get government assistance. Reyes Alfaro wanted to be hospitable, so she let the visitor in. Little did she know that her guest would pick up a stethoscope and strangle her. Alfaro was 89 years old and unable to defend herself. Reyes Alfaro's tenant, Jose Gonzalez, came home and saw his landlord's door open. He entered to find his 89-year-old landlord dead in her home. But Juana hadn't gotten far. Gonzalez spotted her leaving the house. He went outside and started screaming that his landlord was dead and that he saw the suspect running away. This caught the attention of Jose Ismael Alvarado Ruiz and Marco Antonio Cacique, two policemen who were patrolling the area. They found Juana still in the neighborhood and chased her down. She fought back, hitting them with two bags she was carrying and trying to escape. But the officers finally captured and arrested her. Police entered Reyes Alfaro's house and found the body of the elderly woman with blood seeping from her face and the stethoscope cord still around her neck. Gonzalez positively identified Juana as the one he'd seen leaving the scene of the murder. He was given a reward from the government of 100,000 pesos. 
The two officers who captured Mataviahitas were given the same reward, as well as a promotion. When Juana Barraza was arrested, she was carrying the card she showed victims, identifying her as a state-sponsored social worker. She also carried voter registration and pension forms to support the ruse that she was there to help elderly women handle their finances. Police compared the plaster bust made of La Mataviejitas and found marked similarities with Juana Barraza, right down to the birthmark on her cheek. When police searched Juana Barraza's home, they found her two shrines to Santa Muerte and Jesus Malverde, the cult figures she worshipped. They also found a snake in a jar, old photos of her dressed as a wrestler, and apples which looked like some kind of offering. Police interrogated Juana, but she would only confess to the murder of Ana Maria de los Reyes Alfaro. Instead of confessing to additional crimes, Juana told police officers that her children were home and needed to be picked up by their older sister. She gave them phone numbers so they could call her. On the same day she was captured, the Mexico City prosecutor, Bernardo Batiste, held a press conference with the chief of police, Joel Ortega Cuevas, and the government secretary. They told reporters that Juana Barraza had confessed to murdering Alfaro and that Juana's fingerprints matched prints taken in 10 other cases and the attempted robbery where she left her prints on the x-ray. Juana Barraza was also brought out in front of the television cameras. Generally, in Mexico, police chiefs or other government officials are the ones who hold press conferences after criminals have been caught. But this case had captured public fascination, so they trotted her out for reporters. The case had become such a media spectacle that police were eager to let the public know Mata Viejitas had been caught. They had her pose behind the clay bust they had created in her likeness to show how much she resembled the mock-up. Throughout the entire news conference, Juana was very composed. It's not surprising that she'd be composed. A common trait among serial killers is the ability to remain calm in stressful situations. That includes the times when they're committing crimes and often the times when they're captured. There's video footage after the arrest of Juana Barraza casually answering questions from reporters and smiling. She calmly told reporters that she'd killed Reyes Alfaro after going to her house in search of work doing laundry. When asked why she killed old ladies, she said she needed money. The day after Barraza's arrest, newspaper headlines blasted out the news that the little old lady killer had been caught. Equally bold in the headlines was a piece of news few people expected, that she was a woman. Juana Barraza herself took advantage of everyone's nearsightedness. She insisted that she couldn't be the serial killer police had been looking for because she was female. After the arrest, the Lucha Libre League distanced itself from Juana. Miguel Angel Luna Rojano, who was in charge of the wrestling arena in San Juan, said that Juana Barraza was not a real fighter, just an amateur and promoter of local events. He said Juana Barraza used to sit in the arena with her children and her taxi driver boyfriend. Neighbors of Juana's in the Escali neighborhood of Ixtapaluca were interviewed by reporters and police. They seemed surprised at the news that their neighbor was Mata Viejitas. 
They said she kept to herself and they didn't see her much. Neighbors did recall seeing her two children playing in the street and said they'd seen El Frijol, her taxi driver boyfriend, come to the house. Juana's children were taken in by their older sister, Erica, who was about 24 years old by then and lived nearby. Juana was kept in jail until her trial, but she didn't go quietly. After her arrest, she took the opportunity to get revenge on Moises Flores Dominguez. Remember, he was the police officer who had extorted her for money 10 years earlier when she was robbing houses with her accomplice, Araceli Tapia Martinez. Dominguez was arrested a week after Juana. Araceli Tapia Martinez was arrested as well for theft. She admitted she'd helped Juana commit assault in 1998, but said she had nothing to do with the murders, according to the Mexican news agency Cronica. In the spring of 2008, Juana Barraza stood trial for murder. She wore a plain beige outfit and continued her insistence that she'd only murdered one old lady. Prosecutors asked why she'd done it. Her response was only that she got angry. The prosecution alleged that she had committed as many as 40 murders. Our story will continue in a moment after the break. And now back to the story. During the trial, Juana Barraza declared that she had not previously chosen her victims, but that she had spent time in markets, gardens, and shopping centers where she could watch elderly women who were alone and gain their trust so she could enter their homes. In other words, she was saying the killings weren't planned in advance. If it's not premeditated murder, the sentencing can be more lenient. But she did scope out her victims. That indicates a degree of pre-calculation. She was planning her murders. The criminal justice system in Mexico is different than what we're familiar with in the U.S. There are no juries. The case doesn't receive review in a public forum. Instead, the prosecutors and defense lawyers both present their case to a judge, And that's who makes the final decision, essentially behind closed doors. Prosecutors connected Juana to 11 murders with fingerprint evidence, while the defense tried to make a case that she was mentally unfit to stand trial. They tried to use her background of abuse to explain away her murders. It's a common defense strategy to pull out all the worst parts of a defendant's background as mitigating evidence to lessen the impact of their crimes. The criminologist for the case, a man named Miguel Ontiveros, said Juana Barraza's childhood led her to single out older victims because she associated them with her mother. Juana looked to her mother to protect her, and instead she was abused. She couldn't get past the abuse and kept coming back to seek revenge. So it almost didn't matter that she wasn't actually hurting her own mother. Right. The victims were just stand-ins for the woman that Juana wanted to punish. On March 31, 2008, four months after her arrest, Enrique Juarez Saavedra, head of the 67th Criminal Court of the Santa Marta Acatitla Women's Prison, found Juana guilty of 11 counts of murder. Juana was sentenced to 759 years in jail. When she heard the sentence, she cried, according to Mexican news coverage. The tears weren't remorse for the victims. She said she didn't think she could survive in prison. 
she was also fined 2,086 days of minimum wage work. After she was sentenced, Barraza said the prison term was unfair because she was an honest woman who respected the elderly. A rather ironic statement considering that she targeted the elderly. A 759-year sentence doesn't necessarily mean that Juana will spend the rest of her life in prison. In Mexico, prison sentences are served concurrently. And by law, the maximum number of years a person can be imprisoned is 50. So, in 2058, Barraza could walk free. After Juana Barraza was found guilty, Bernardo Batiste, the chief prosecutor in Mexico City, said she would undergo a series of psychological studies and imbalance tests to try to understand why she was compelled to kill elderly women. That kind of testing is what allows us to understand the behavior of serial killers, as we mentioned earlier, Dr. Feggy Ostrowski took a particular interest in her case and wanted to include Juana Barraza in her study. Ostrowski believed Juana Barraza looked in the mirror and saw La Dama del Silencio, her wrestling image, and when she entered the homes of her victims, the images of her previous suffering came back to her. The abandonment by her father, the abuse by her mother... Ostrowski said Juana Barraza was likely committing crimes that exercised a part of her past. In other words, in a deep psychological way, she was trying to kill her mother, which is why she chose elderly victims. She also believed that the cords and ties Juana Barraza used to bind her victims might have had some relation to the way Jose Lujo used to tie her up or the way her mother abused her. Ostrowski concluded that all these elements of Juana's past came into play, but it was only part of the picture. She said that the orbitofrontal and frontal dorsolateral areas of the brains of violent killers do not work the same way as nonviolent people. Those are the parts of the brain that deal with emotional processing and decision-making. They determine how we respond to sensory information. Ostrowski first learned about how brain function may affect murderers through her studies on mice. The mice were altered so that their brains broke down the neurotransmitters that normally regulate mood. Those chemicals are essential for helping mice deal with pleasure and pain and respond rationally. Without anything to regulate the chemicals, the mice could become more aggressive. Those mice began to kill other mice. Murderous mice is actually what researchers called them. The next step was to apply what they learned about these murderous mice to humans. So Ostrowski used MRI, or magnetic resonance imaging, to study the brains of the prison inmates, to look at brain function and try to determine how they process feelings of anger and why they may not feel fear or guilt. She spent seven days interviewing Juana Barraza and taking MRIs of her brain. Then they mapped the variations in her sensory responses when they showed her a series of images, some pleasant, some unpleasant, and some neutral. She was shown a can of garbage, which you'd expect anyone to find unpleasant. But her brainwaves indicated she viewed it the same way she viewed pleasant things, like flowers. They found that her response to images, like her own murder victims, was the same as pleasant images. 
Ostrowski saw this as proof that Juana Barraza was capable of killing helpless women. Today, Juana Barraza is serving her sentence at the Santa Marta Acatitla prison in Mexico. And she's never admitted to anything besides the one murder. But her trial wasn't the last the public heard from her. In 2015, at age 56, she married another inmate, also in prison for murder. That must have made new headlines. The Mexico City Daily Papers ran with it, writing about how she'd found love nine years after being convicted for murder. Her new husband was a man identified as Miguel Angel, age 74. He's serving a life sentence for murder in the same prison where Juana Barraza is serving her time. He was described as an extremely dangerous man. They had known each other for about a year before their wedding day. They made use of a government program which allowed them to marry while in prison. It was a group wedding where they married along with 48 other couples in the prison. Officials provided music, food, and cake for their wedding reception. It's part of a program funded by the Mexican government called Lazos and Reclusión, which means bonds within confinement. The program helps inmates form personal bonds and relationships. Prison officials say that the prisoners who commit the most violent crimes have the most pen pals. Often admirers confuse compassion with love. Turns out that when they finally married, they were incompatible. They saw each other only a few times during the year in which they were married. They've since filed for divorce. Juana Barraza is still in prison today, with no chance of parole until at least the year 2058. At that time, she will be 100 years old. She will be a little old lady herself, frail and unable to defend herself, just like her victims. That concludes our story of Juana Barraza, the little old lady killer. Thanks again for tuning in to Female Criminals. If you want to listen to any previous episodes of Female Criminals, you can find them on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify, or on our website, parcast.com, spelled P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com. A new episode comes out every Wednesday. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. As always, we thank you for listening. Female Criminals was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Carly Madden and Maggie Admire. Female Criminals is written by Stacey Kravitz and stars Claire Delamar and Vanessa Richardson. You can examine the psychology, motivations, and atrocities of other female felons by following the ParCast series, Female Criminals, on Spotify. New episodes premiere every Wednesday. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>